Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to On the Bright Line podcast, tales from recovering food addicts from the perspective of a physician, a therapist, and an off-the-wall storyteller. We are not affiliated or endorsed by Brightline Eating, and all content presented in this podcast represents our personal opinions and does not represent medical, nutritional, or psychological professional advice. So today we are going to uh, talk a little bit more about our background uh, with weight and food. And so uh, I think that it's important to kind of talk about where we've uh, come from to look forward to where we're going and where we are currently. So that's what we're going to focus on on this episode is uh, our past and our relationship with weight and food. So Bonnie, I'm going to throw the question to you. So what has your relationship with your weight looked like um, in your life in the past? So I talked a little bit last time about, uh, in my family, we have a lot of eating disorders. Um, I have had, uh, family members hospitalized for eating disorders. Uh, my mother has an eating disorder. Um, and she would, uh, you know, withhold food from herself and occasionally would purge. And I remember her telling me that, you know, if you go to a restaurant and you feel really full afterwards, you could just stick your finger down your throat and get rid of it, and mm, that will help right. you feel better. <laughs> right. So some very messed up ideas about that. Um, my father was, uh, I would say, inappropriately obsessed with all of our appearances, um, being sexually attractive as a female, mm-hmm. a thin waist and big boobs and whatever was the thing. <sighs> and so there was a definitely a standard already of what was acceptable. Um, and I remember from pre-puberty constantly like looking at myself in the mirror and sucking in my stomach and Mm -hmm. feeling like I already had a little pooch and that that was something that was wrong with me. I remember thinking when I was like, I don't know, you know, I was a teenager in the eighties, early eighties. And, um, I remember everybody was getting our belly button piercing. And I remember thinking when I get my stomach flat, I'm going to get my belly button pierced. You know, Mm -hmm. it was like, I mean, Mm -hmm. I was like 15, 14, 15. I was the thinnest I'm ever going to be. Right. I mean, I'm just like, you know, and, and, and already it was just like, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Uh, and, um, I would exercise obsessively. Um, of course I didn't relate anything to food. And again, because food was frequently withheld, my portions were very tightly controlled, um, by my mother. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, we weren't wealthy and so food was just limited to, so the budget was what the budget was. Um, but um, I, I just remember feeling, again, constantly inadequate and, and you know, thinking my thighs were too fat and my stomach was too fat. And um, that has been my whole life. Um, I definitely, like I said, used exercise obsessively to get rid of that. Oh, I'll just work out, work it out. And, and that kind of worked to a degree when I was younger. You know, when you have great metabolism, it kind of works. Um, but I, was, I have never been happy with my body. I mean, at any age... There's no age where I felt good. I felt good in my skin, mm-hmm. uh, where I felt like confident, or I felt like I looked. I always felt like probably people were judging me for mm. not having the body I should have. And into adulthood. Oh, definitely. Okay. Definitely. Uh, I mean, I'm at maintenance. I'm at. I'm. I'm pretty comfortable with the weight I'm at now. Yeah. And I was riding my bike the other day, and I just like looked down. and I'm like, I'm so fat. I mean, it's oh, so messed up, so right? It's a disordered yeah. body image. I yeah, know yeah. I have disordered body image, and I used to describe it to patients like, 
you know, um, when you're looking in the mirror, you have like a pair of glasses on that make you look differently than you really look. And um, I, I definitely have that. And it's so interesting because mm -hmm. I'm in my frontal lobe and I'm like, I'm at a healthy weight. I'm like, a, I have a healthy body that's going to carry me through my life in a wonderful way and do the things I need to do. And I am able to ride 10 miles on my bike with high hills and everything mm -hmm. else. No problem. I can do the things I want to do with my body. But I still have to like consciously overcome the thought that my body is less than or not not okay. The you know? yeah, air quotes doesn't look like it should. Yeah, it doesn't like look like it should. society and our families have told us yes. that it should. And, like. you know, since I've lost weight, I have some skin hanging, right? I have skin mm -hmm. hanging on my thighs. And we've talked about <laughs> Let's this, Let's not right? talk about yeah, that. That's a whole other thing. Um, and so, you know, I have stretch marks from having two children and from being overweight. <clears throat> yeah. um, I got stretch marks in my thighs when I was 16, you know, yeah. just because I rapidly developed and was a little heavy uh, in my carb laden diet at home. Um, yeah. So I think that's a constant thing is um, also adjusting to the reality that you know, I'm in my mid fifties and, and, and that fantasy mm -hmm. of, you know, that I'm going to get that flat stomach and have that belly button ring. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's yeah. just not oh, no. going to happen. Yeah. I mean, it could happen. I could just embrace who I am. You could and get, you that get belly a belly, belly button, button, belly button ring. It's not going to look the way I imagine. <laughs> and, um, Dude, you know, I have, I am working toward making peace with the fact again, that this body is a vessel to carry my mind and my soul through this life for me. Yeah. And, um, to be able to help me be with my kids and my grandkids and my husband and my family and my friends. Mm -hmm. And that's what this body is for. It's not for, for what someone else needs it to look like. And again, that was ingrained mm -hmm. yeah. in me inappropriately from a very early yeah. age that I am a sexual object, that I am an object of, of visual, visual uh, delight pleasure and for that I, else. I need to look a certain way for other people. Yep. And you know, as I've even tried to settle on, what do I want my final weight to be? Right. It's mm -hmm. about, Am I looking in the mirror and judging what I want my body to look like for me? Or am I still using that lens of what other people need my body to be? And I don't yeah. know that I'm able to separate that even still. That's yeah. a journey I'm on. That is a really tricky thing to, to tease out, to tease out. Do, am, am I pleased with this? Or am I, am I still projecting upon myself the view of what society tells me I should look like? Right? Yeah. How about you, Megan? Oh, mm -hmm. me next? Go. Okay. Um, so I think for me, I, be I became overweight as um, like a 13-year-old during puberty is basically when that happened. And so uh, I had done ballet before that and decided basically that I was going to quit and then didn't bring on any other exercise in my life and my eating habits did not change. So I think at that point I had been uh, physically active enough that it, it, the weight didn't become an issue until I stopped. And then when I stopped is when all the weight came on. And so being an overweight 13, 14, you know, teenager through middle school and high school was uh, very traumatic for all the reasons which I'm sure everyone can identify with, mm. uh, got made fun of, um, and really uh, didn't, you know, being a, being an overweight woman, girl in the 90s is when I was a teenager and mm -hmm. in high school, uh, there wasn't clothes for plus size women. There weren't clothes for big girls, um, cute clothes, especially there was right. old lady clothes. Right. And I remember um, kind of taking on this tomboy persona because I could fit into men's jeans and big t-shirts. And then that's what I could look like and cover up 
you know, my obesity and not, um, and didn't feel comfortable in my own skin at all because of my weight. Um, but felt like I had no options because there wasn't any, there wasn't a choice. So fast forward a little bit until my, I think I was my early twenties, like 21 or so is when, you know, and that was the early aughts, like 2001, 2002, um, they started making cute clothes for plus size women. Like it was like kind of a, you know, there was kind of this big evolution within the fashion industry that like, okay, plus size women are a thing. They're here to say, we got to make clothes for them. Right. And so at that point I really just embraced and before it was even called the body positivity movement, I embraced Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm big, I'm who I am and that I'm, I'm beautiful no matter what my size is. So I really got to an acceptance around my weight um, and just accepted me for who I was. And then I felt like I could be beautiful and I could be sexy and I could be all the things I wanted to be. And I could wear the clothes I wanted to wear because now they were making them for me in my size, no matter um, what my weight was. And so it's interesting now because having lost a significant amount of weight, I almost feel traitorous, traitorous, that's the word. Yeah, that's that's the right word. word. I feel like a traitor to the body positivity movement because Mm -hmm. I'm losing weight. And, um, not that, because I think that I always espouse the virtue of like, you can be healthy at any size, which I think is maybe not true. I don't necessarily know that I believe that anymore, but I do think that, um, you can love your body any size. I think that's really important. Um, that's one thing that I think that I will continue to, um, impress upon people and encourage people is to love your body no matter what size you are. Because I think the only way that you can start doing the inner work that it takes to do this work, to lose the weight and to understand what the relationships with food and why we abuse food the way we do is to really love yourself, like just for who you are. So I'm still struggling with body image. I think I will ever always and forever like Bonnie have body image issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely have some dysmorphia as well, uh, especially as my sizes have gone down. I hold up the clothes that I wear now and I look at them and they look like children's clothing because they're so much smaller than I've ever worn. And then I think they're never going to fit on my body. And then I put them on my body and they fit and it's like, Oh, you know, like it's, it's a really, it's very, well, it's a very dysmorphic, like just, um, kind of off kilter feeling. And so, I mean, I think that we'll talk about loose skin later. I don't want to get into that now. That's my big, that's my big thing guys. Just so everybody knows my issue is loose skin. I will have a lot of it. I have a lot of it and I will have a lot more. So I struggle with that. Um, because I do want to be a bikini model. I don't really want to be a bikini model, but I do like to wear, you know, tank tops. I'm wearing a tank top right now. You Mm -hmm. can't see that. Those of you who listen to the podcast, um, Mm -hmm. in shorts and that sort of thing. And I want to be able to love my body, um, the way it is. Uh, but, also maybe not carry what I feel like is a scar of being overweight for so long, which is what I feel like the loose skin is. But again, we won't go there because that's a whole nother conversation. But, um, I definitely, um, I, I definitely have body acceptance and I feel like I've had that for a long time. Um, again, I wasn't shamed by my parents at all for my weight. There was no amount of shame that I felt, um, for being overweight and so I was was, thinking that like, that's the difference, right? Is that, mm -hmm. um, you know, the upbringing, if you're, if you're raised to need to be a certain thing, it just, that's what creates that. Absolutely. You know, I just always admired that, that the body positivity that you've had. I mean, because I never felt as comfortable. I never felt as comfortable in my skin at a size eight or a 10 as you felt in your skin at your highest weight, right? Because you were, you just projected that. I am beautiful for who I am. Yeah. And I just, uh, that's definitely like, you know, my aspirational 
concept. Yeah. And I'm grateful, obviously, to be married to a person who is very accepting of my body, no matter what weight it is. Mm-hmm. So I will mm-hmm. say that too. Like, I know that everybody doesn't have a partner or doesn't have people in their life that are your know, parents or whatever that right. are accepting of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm very grateful to have that as well. So, um, did Robin, did you have thoughts about your weight growing up and um, now as an adult? I kind of grew up in a family where, you know, just like Bonnie was saying, there were some really rigid beliefs about what was attractive. I can remember my sister and I um, had been given nicknames, uh, probably by my dad. Uh, One of us was Bubble Butt, and the other one was Thunder Thighs. Wow. Right, (laughs) as preteens. Yeah. Right, that those those were our nicknames. They're both Um, tiny, just so everyone knows. Yeah, and Robin, yes, Robin's... Never had a significant struggle with your weight, I, right? I have not. Not I that that doesn't not. mean that she doesn't understand yeah. anything. It just means that she hasn't. Yeah, that has yeah, not. It was an inappropriate nickname. Super yeah. inappropriate. <laughs> yeah, wow. yeah. But that, you know, that, um, that, like, Bonnie, like you were saying, that that projection that society puts on us of what we, quote, unquote, should look like. And again, yes, I know this is a podcast, but I'm 5'2 with bright red hair and glasses and no cleavage. I am, I am not, you know, just a member of the A club, a cup club. I am its president. (laughs) Um, and so there's that, there's that feeling of that. I don't look the way I was, you know, the way society expects me to look. Or the way your parents wanted you to look. Right. Yeah. I can remember my dad saying, Oh, it's such a shame. You're not going to have a date because you're not blonde with you know, big boobs. So that, right. That, and this is why I love my parents. <laughs> right. I, I love your parents. Love you, too. mom and dad. We all love <laughs> Megan's <laughs> parents. <laughs> right. But it's that, I think that again, it's the, the message, the messages that we either get or don't get about what our body, you know, quote unquote, should look like. Right. And the joke about should is, you know, don't, don't should all over yourself. And mm. it's, and it is a struggle to not, well, but I should look like this. I should, you know, have the flat tummy with the pierced belly button and I, I shouldn't have the skin. And it's that, I think that is definitely a struggle that everyone uh, yeah. feels. Yeah. yeah I bet go. if we polled a hundred people oh, yeah. off the street and asked them if they're happy with their body, we would get an almost zero response. Oh, yeah. For sure. It's such yeah. a shame. It's such a shame that that it is. is. Like, it should be the focus that we all just want to have healthy bodies so we can live a wonderful life. Absolutely. That really should be the focus. But we live in a society where there's so much value put on appearance. Right, right. And and can it just be, you know, I want this meat suit that I'm in, Bonnie, like you were saying, (laughs) to to just... (laughs) want my little meat suit to carry me along on the journey. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's, It's the vessel that I reside in and what is the journey that I want to be on? Do I want to be able to, you know hike or ride a bike or keep up with kids or, you know, do X, Y, Z hobby. Um, and so how, how do we, how do we get ourselves to that point, but not necessarily obsessing about, well, what size do I fit in? Yeah. You know, Uh, yeah, that's a struggle for me still. So Megan, what, what has your relationship with food look like and what does it look like now? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I talked about this a little bit before that food was always a comfort for me. And that was the love language that I think my mom Mm -hmm. spoke in. And so it was celebratory occasions. We had this special meal. So for the birthday, you got to choose what you wanted to eat and the cake and the, you know, all the things that 
NMF, the not my food stuff, right? So I I think that for me, um, it was always like a celebratory, um, special love that my mom showed was through this food. And it was for the most part, not healthy things, you know, and that was not what I was craving. It wasn't what I was ever craving. I wasn't craving, you know, a salad, give me a good green salad. I wish, you know, but not, you know, not definitely not. I think then as I became an adult and made choices for myself, I then, my thing was, uh, and I know you and I have talked about this is like, it wasn't like at the end of the day, I was like, oh, I'm going to have a drink because I had a hard day. It was like, oh, I'm going to have a special meal. And like, even Mm -hmm. in so much, and I've been married for 13 years now. And so, I mean, you know, I can remember my husband even saying a couple years ago, like, oh, what do you want me to cook for dinner tonight? I know you've had yeah. a hard day. Like, and, and, and like knowing that that was my, like that, that was how to show love to me, not because he was trying to like, you know, feed me Make bad food. Yeah. No, right. no, no, not right. at all. Not at all. No, just that he, that was, you know, he was trying to show love to me in that way. And so, um, that's, I, I think that that was how I, abused food it was like okay I'm gonna do the indulgent you know super rich cheesy whatever you know whatever the case might be carby thing that I wanted to eat because that was gonna make me feel better um or I thought it was gonna make me feel better so today um I am you know over 200 days bright and uh I'm you know doing BLE and following the program I think that I realized that I never ate enough vegetables in my entire life because Mm -hmm. this program is very vegetable heavy. I think that I feel so much better when I eat this way and my body responds obviously very positively when I eat this way. And I'm more satisfied with food now than I think I ever was before because it's like I eat and I'm comfortably full. Um, I'm part of a mastermind group, which is one of the accountability communities within BLE for those that aren't part of the program. And my, the other women in my mastermind group, we talk about this all the time. It's like, we don't have to eat to this point of like over fullness. Discomfort. Yeah. And so it's like being able to eat till you're satisfied and like you're full, obviously like weighed and measured, you know, the food that I eat, it, it makes me feel good because I'm like, I've, I've given my body what it needs to, um, to do the thing, right. Mm -hmm. Like to, to live the life. So we were talking about our relationship with food, and this is Bonnie. Um, When I was a kid, um, again, I was definitely denied food because my mom was always worried about us being, you know, overweight. Um, My sister and I used to sneak food, and there was no food in the house. Mom didn't buy candy or, like, any, like, we, Mm -hmm. I didn't know what soda was until I was a teenager, I think. So one of the things my sister and I would do is we would make butter balls, which is that we would, uh that we would get flour and butter and a little sugar and knead it together in our fist and put it in the toaster oven and then Mm, eat it. Right. Or sometimes just raw. Mm, Right, right, We also used to sneak our little sister's baby food because it was, I remember bananas, like like jarred bananas taste really good. Because we lived in the Northeast and again, we were not well off and mom would drive to the store like once a month or once every two weeks for groceries. And so... Fresh fruit. I remember like her buying grapes and then I just ate them all and her being inferior. You ate all the grapes. Oh, you know, right. how could you have done that? You know, like right. they were for everybody, right? But mm-hmm. I was really hungry and I wasn't getting those things. So mm-hmm. my early relationship with food was just a lack of or a lack or a craving for mm-hmm. food. And then I think that definitely led to like the bingey kind of things that I did later. Um, you know, when I became an adult and moved out, I was also really strapped for cash. So I didn't overeat too much cause I didn't have any money to do that. So I remember mm-hmm. just making a, getting two pie 
the double box of pie, package of pie, pie crust, crust, a dozen eggs, and a package of spinach, and just making two quiches and having one slice per meal for 12 meals. Yep. <laughs> so I didn't have a lot of chance to like way overeat then. Uh, but as soon as I had the means, I definitely started indulging myself. It was indulging like I, I deserve this now because I can afford this or this is I can make oh, the choice I can myself. Have this yeah, now. I can make the choice myself. Mm-hmm. I can. You know, I get to have this and I can have as much as I want. Yeah. And, and a, definitely a lifelong feeling of there won't be enough for me, right? There won't yeah. be enough. And so I need to eat more because there's not enough. Uh, or a fear that there wouldn't be enough or that I wouldn't feel full. Because I think that's probably how I felt most mm. growing up, like leaving mm-hmm. the table when I was growing, right? And having mm-hmm. like, you got one piece of chicken, a spoonful of green beans and mashed potatoes or whatever you got. Right. Um, and so I think when I started like on this program, I still... And I think I'm still, like, I'm weighing my food. And I know it's enough because I know how I'm going to feel after I finish it. I'm full. Mm-hmm. But there's still, I still eat too fast because I saw this panicky feeling yeah. that there's not going to be enough. That's a subconscious feeling of it not being enough. <clears throat> yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. And I think that probably speaks to a lot of people's experience with food of, you know, either there's not enough or, Megan, like you were saying, that, you know, food, food is love. I think that's definitely the story in my family. You know, I, I love you, so I, I you know, I, I baked you cookies, or it's your birthday, and so you get to pick, you know, whatever it was, you know, that, that your special treat is. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in, in my house growing up, my mom liked to cook, um, so there was always food, but she, like, we did not have, it was same thing, no soda. You got, so you, you could have ginger ale if you were sick. Right. Mm-hmm. Like there were certain things that it was like, oh, you know, if that was the same in my house, there wasn't soda, but we could have Sprite if we were sick. So. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so those memories that I think we've created of of the links between food and joy or food and happiness or food and comfort, um, we you know, we take those forward and then live those in our adult life. Right, and I, I remember like realizing, oh, I, like I can go through a drive-through as a grown-up. I have money in a car now, mm-hmm. right? And that oh, freedom yeah. of there's all these foods that we didn't have growing totally. up, mm-hmm. right? Like I remember being in college and like discovering mac and cheese. We did not have that in my house, <laughs> right? And like well, we didn't get box mac and cheese. Mom made it. For of course she did. Of course she did. <laughs> See, and I don't ever remember a birthday cake ever. There was no sweets. There was no sweets ever. Like there was no, I don't remember my Mm -hmm. mom making us something like that was indulgent ever. Yeah. Right. Because again, that message of we can't have sweets because heaven forbid. We might get fat. We might get fluffy. Yeah. 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 And I, I think that message was certainly um, present in my household, but not, not as, not to that extreme. And my mom had hidden M&Ms for herself. So guess what? (laughs) There was some things happening. Wow. Yeah. So no wonder you had to make sure you got yours. Yeah. 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 Some mixed messaging going on. Quite, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Any other thoughts about your relationship with food growing up? No, I I think we, we certainly ate like a good variety my mom you know was was big on vegetables um we had like a little garden and her parents had always had gardens awesome so I think that was just a little bit different for us yeah so um the last question we're gonna talk about today is what what efforts have you gone through in your life to live in a right-sized mm-hmm. body prior to BLE 
We'll start with Bonnie. <laughs> so, yeah. Her eyes got really big. Like right? I talked about, yeah. like, I don't know that I ever thought I achieved a bright size body because I, I guess I just wanted to look like a little stick figure, even as a teenager. But, um, yeah, so I definitely have done Weight Watchers. I've done calorie counting. I've done low carb. I've done, I did Atkins for a while. I mean, I was, like, mm-hmm. eating bacon and pork mm-hmm. rinds and I don't know like because the food addict mm-hmm. that I am right Yum. it said you could have unlimited fat so by golly yeah. right right I did Done. and I you know I lost weight with all of those methods and of course immediately gain as soon as I would hit any kind of a touch point of like oh this might be a good weight right I would immediately binge and just you know go off the rails with whatever the limitation was of the program and go back up the most success I ever had was when the three of us were doing exercise. Yeah. Yep. So we were all in an office together, um, and uh, we actually had a personal trainer start coming to the office, and mm-hmm. that that was really great. And we started working out the three times a week, and then that kind of evolved into us doing mud runs, you know, mud runs, yeah. and we did eventually sprint triathlons. We right. took swimming lessons together and bike mm-hmm. together, and it was great and emotionally healthy and physically healthy. But I definitely was using that. I mean, I can even remember like, oh, I get to have another drink because yes, we did because a run. We oh. did, we did a or run. like, yes. hey, let's all go out to eat and get yes. drinks after yeah. we do the run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember that. That was the reward. Yeah. Pictures of us. It was like, yes. oh, yeah, like we With can eat whatever we hand. want today yeah. because mm-hmm. we did a run this morning. But so. I felt better about my body then. I still didn't feel like I was at the right size body, but I felt like I was getting there yeah. and we were doing those things. And then, of course, what would happen is I'd get an injury. Something would happen. Yeah. All of us went through that. Like you get an injury and then it's like, well, I can't exercise now. So, right. oh, forget it. And then I just gain a bunch of weight back and right. I feel terrible. And yeah. So I think that was probably the last time I worked at trying to be in my right size body. And then I really went through a period of several years of a lot of life stressors. And I, I, I think I kind of remember just literally looking in the mirror and being like, you know what? You're hitting your 50s. This is okay to look like this now because mm-hmm. this is how people uh-huh. in their 50s look. And I just need to make peace with it because mm. I don't have the energy for that. I don't have the energy for that anymore. Yeah. And I didn't feel good about myself, but mm-hmm. I, I literally just closed my eyes and looked away. Yeah. And that's really what I did up until I started this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Robin? Um, I can remember being in college and my mom had some diet pills. And I can remember like taking diet pills. I can remember, um, you know, like Bonnie was saying, kind of doing, doing the diets, um, you know, keto and paleo and this and that. Um, I think early on being the therapist, I gravitated towards the kind of the cognitive behavioral books regarding weight loss, which, you know, there's, there's several programs right now that are, that are really, really big and popular. Um, because again, that re- resonated resonated with me. The you know what what you say to yourself in your head leads to you know how you feel about something, and that leads to the behavior I'm going to take. Right. So if I say um, I had a bad day, so I deserve a treat, and um, then that allows me to like feel comforted, and then take an action to you know get to choose the bad sweet treat or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Right. But then I get to justify and rationalize that. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, that was, you know, same thing, all the, all the exercising. And I, I enjoy exercising, 
but it was definitely like um, a calculation of, okay, I ran this much, so now I get to, I can have this much more food. Bonnie and I are nodding our heads, just so you know. We're in agreement here. Oh, yeah. I can remember us like sitting around the lunch table in the office and like, you know, discussing, you know, how much were we going to exercise and then what could we have to eat and could we go ahead and go out? we're really into that. How many calories have we burned? Right, right. We all had our little tap and track. Tap and track, tap and track, right? Tap and track. So, you know, and those, you know, some of those strategies can be helpful for some people, but I think, again, it's looking at the whole picture of what is actually sustainable because a the you know the problem that I see across the board is well I'm going to diet until I get to that weight and right and then I'm you know then I check the box and I'm quote unquote done and it's yeah. like no you're you're never you're never done it's about how do you choose a lifestyle that is sustainable yeah and I think as a food addict like that's the other thing is recognizing that the food addiction is real yeah. And that you will always have to be cognizant, much like other people who have other addictions, no matter what, they have to recognize that their addiction is real and that they will have to combat it for the rest of their life. Like being an alcoholic doesn't go go away. Like being addicted to drugs doesn't go away. And I think people who are in, you know, AA and those kinds of programs will say, right, like I'm an addict, like it's never, I'm, I'm done. I've never recovered. Like I am an addict, I'm recovering, but I've never recovered. So I think that that's another thing that just accepting that this is just another form of addiction and that it's not ever anything that I'm going to be cured of. Right. Like we're not going to ever be cured of this. Like it's just part of who I am and knowing that I, you know, I have to live my life accordingly. And there was some grieving to make peace with. That. Oh yeah. I mean, still, there's still grieving yeah. and there's grieving all the time. Like the, you know, you come up on, I personally, I come up on things where I'm like, Oh, I didn't realize that this was going to have such an effect on me. Yeah. You know, the emotions about having to let go of, yeah whatever, whatever right. that is, like whatever the, whatever the food is, whatever the, you know, activity is, you right. know, that sort of thing. And just realizing that, you know, my life doesn't have to revolve around food anymore too. Like, and, and you know, and you guys know this obviously, cause we've changed our lifestyle, but the three mm-hmm. of us where we would used to go out to dinner and get drinks, right. now we go for hikes. And yeah. I mean, not that we don't eat, of course we eat together and that's not a problem, mm-hmm. but it's not the central focus of our friendship anymore where it used to be the central yeah. focus of yeah, our friendship. Yeah, let's find a place that has something really yummy to eat. Yeah. 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 And yeah. the activity was the eating. Right. Yes. Instead of the being together. Right. Yeah. yeah. The connection. Yeah. So personally, um, to answer the question mm-hmm. about what I've done to be in my bright or my right size body, um, in the past, uh, I think it was always exercise for me. I did, um, you know, I did some calorie restriction. I, I did a macro program at one point where I measured out my macros. I think all of it was very obsessive for me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, that it was something I could focus like intently on hyper-focus. and I could yeah, yeah. hyper focus on and, and stay hyper focused on. Um, but it would only last for so long. And especially mm-hmm. if accountability went away, that was always my thing. If, I, if we were doing something in a group, I could keep up with it. Yeah. But if I had to do it on my own or I was left to my own devices and there was no accountability, I wasn't going to keep mm-hmm. up with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, um, I mean, that happened with uh, the macro tracking I was doing, which is the last thing I did before um, I started BLE was um, a program that I had a, a coach and then the program fell apart and then I totally went off track. Like that's what I mean. I just was like, Nope, not anymore. But I think I used exercise for a long time to, you know, like we talked about, like we'd track our food and decide what we could eat based on Mm -hmm. 
remember going to the coffee house and we can have oh, pancakes yes. because yes. you remember yes. we can have pancakes today because we did our I run this remember. morning right. or whatever. Right. So it's you know it was definitely our whole personality back then, like how what what we could eat based on the amount of exercise that we did. Uh, and I think the one thing that I will say too that has totally changed my changed everything is that I really haven't done much exercising. I mean, I say that I do hike, but like I haven't, mm-hmm. like I don't do an exercise program. I don't work out a specific amount of time every day. I don't yeah. run. I, I hate running. I hate running. Like mark my words. I hate to run. And if I never have to do it again, I'll be happy. Um, I hate to run, but I mean, I used to, I we used to triathlon. I had to run yeah. and it was torture. It was horrible. So I wonder how it would feel though. in your right I know. I don't think yeah. I would like it anymore. That's Let's still just be honest. Yeah. I don't like to run. I love to hike. I hate to run, mm-hmm. but anyway, so I just, I think I would, I think I would punish my body a lot with, um, physical exercise too. It's like, Oh, I mm-hmm. ate poorly mm-hmm. or I'm going to eat poorly. So I have to endure whatever this discomfort sure. is for, you know, an amount of time. And I think what has been so freeing for me about BLE is like changing my food and the way I eat means I don't, not that exercise is great. Like I think we should be physically active and I think there's definitely merits to that, but I'm not forced to do something that I completely hate to counteract the food that I'm eating anymore. And like what a revolution, like in my life to not have to think about exercise and activity in that way. It's activity that I want to do. Yeah. It's activity that I want to enjoy, but my food is completely separate from all that because my food is automatic, right? The yeah. food I eat is the food I eat yeah. because of BLE. Yeah. So. Instead of eating poison and then taking an antidote, exactly. you're just yeah. not eating poison. I'm yeah. just going to choose not to poison myself right? today. Oh, That's, shocker. Yeah. Plot twist. Yeah. So, uh, those are our thoughts, uh, for today and we appreciate you guys tuning in and stay tuned for next time.